Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys. I am Scott. And I'm David. And David, you're going to have to remind me what episode we're on. We're on episode number 58, 58. of this podcast. That's how long it's been. It's been so long that I can't <laughs> keep up with which episode we're on now. Yeah. Wow. Very good. Well, we have been reading together Thomas Brooks' book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And David, why don't you catch us up to where we are at, at this point? Yeah. So we just wrapped up device number six. So that device number six was uh, that... Repentance is an easy work, and so Satan tries to convince us that because repentance tries to convince us one that repentance is an easy work, and two that because it is an easy work, we can do it later. Hmm. We don't have to go through the work of repentance right now. We can just put it off until later. And Brooks spent quite a bit of time walking us through all the many different ways that that is just a flat out lie. Yep. And yep. So. We finished up that device at the end of last episode, uh, and so now we're moving towards device number seven. Yes, and I'll be glad to read for us device number seven, and here's what it is. By making the soul bold to venture upon the occasions of sin, saith Satan, you may walk by the harlot's door, though you won't go into the harlot's bed. You may sit and sup with the drunkard, though you won't be drunk with the drunkard. You may look upon Jezebel's beauty, and you may play and toy with Delilah, though you do not commit wickedness with the one or the other. You may with Achan handle the golden wedge, though you do not steal the golden wedge. Mm. Mm. So the, the the device that he uses here is you can you can get close to committing this sin, but not fall into it. You can you can get close to committing adultery. Yep. But not but you won't you won't commit adultery. You yep. can get close to uh you can get close to stealing. You can get close yep. to drunkenness without actually falling into it. Yep. So in a former life, I don't believe in former lives by the way, but many many years ago when I had hair and it wasn't gray, I was a youth pastor. And the most frequently asked question mm. when I served as a youth pastor was how cl- some variety of it wasn't always asked this way, but it was how close can I get to this thing and it not be sin? Mm. How how much can I get away with before it's sin? Like we all of us want to figure out how close we can get to the boundary. Before it is crossed and it is therefore sin. Now, this is not a new principle, David. Both you and I have children at home. Mm -hmm. And you know what our children do? They desire to get as As close close to the boundary before the infliction of punishment happens. They Mm -hmm. want to know, how close can I get? Can I stick my finger on but not in the light socket? (laughs) Can I, can I touch, but not move the thing? And you know how, you know how they do that? Mm. Because they're human. And this is what temptation does. So this is a very powerful one, particularly for our age. We ask this question one way or the other all the time. I've said, I've said before here in our church, there are three questions every teenager asks, who am I? What am I doing here on earth? And can I get away with it? Mm. Those are the three questions, right? And those are the three questions that ultimately if we allow ourselves to go unchecked, we will ask why? Because it is a device of the evil one. The evil one. So, okay. So we understand the problem. So shall we start reading about one of the remedies? Let's do it. All right. First remedy. The first remedy is solemnly 
to dwell upon those scriptures that do expressly command us to avoid the occasions of sin and the least appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Whatsoever is heterodox, unsound, and unsavory, shun it as you would do a serpent in your way or poison in your meat. Theodosius tear the Arians' arguments presented to him in writing because he found them repugnant to the scriptures. And Augustine retracted even ironies only because they had the appearance of lying. When God had commanded the Jews to abstain from the swine's flesh, they would not so much as name it, but in their common talk would call a sow another thing. To abstain from all appearance of evil is to do nothing wherein sin appears or which hath a shadow of sin. Bernard glosseth finely, whatever is of evil show or of ill report, that he may neither wound conscience nor credit. We must shun and be shy of the very show and shadow of sin, if either we tender our credit abroad or our comfort at home. It was good counsel that Livia gave her husband Augustus. It behooveth thee not only to not do wrong, but not to seem to do so. So, Jude 23, and others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. It is a phrase taken from legal uncleanness, which was contracted by touching the houses, the vessels, the garments of unclean persons. Under the law, men might not touch a menstruous cloth, nor would God accept of a spotted peace offering. So we must not only hate and avoid gross sins, but everything that may carry a savor or suspicion of sin. We must abhor the very signs and tokens of sin. So in Proverbs 5.8, remove thy way far from her and come not nigh the door of her house. He that would not be burnt must dread the fire. He that would not hear the bell must not meddle with the rope. That's a great one. Mm -hmm. To venture upon the occasion of sin and then to pray, lead us not into temptation. It's all one is to thrust thy finger into the fire and then to pray that it might not be burnt. Mm. So in Proverbs 4, 14, 15, you have another command. Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it and pass away. This Triple gradation of Solomon showeth with a great emphasis how necessary it is for men to flee from all appearance of sin. As the seaman shuns sands and shelves, and as men shun those that have the plague sores running upon them, as weeds do endanger the corn, as bad humors do endanger the blood, or as an infected house doth endanger the neighborhood, so doth the company of the bad endanger those that are good. Entireness with wicked consorts is one of the strongest chains of hell and binds us to a participation of both sin and punishment. Mm. I feel like Brooks has some things to say there. Yes. So his first, uh, his first remedy is to dwell upon the scriptures that clearly command us to, to avoid even the appearance of sin, to avoid the places whereby we would fall into sin, to avoid things that may not necessarily be sin, but would certainly look like sin mm -hmm. to other people if we did them. Yeah. To, you think about how different most of our Christian lives would be if we actually endeavored to avoid even the appearance of evil. 
Mm. I feel like that's a lost art mm-hmm. in most of Christendom. Yeah. I feel like we've, we don't care. You know, like we, we, we over, it's almost like we over preach the, it shouldn't, you know, what other people think if you don't, it doesn't matter. Now, listen, I've, I've written on my whiteboard in my office, if God approves, nothing else matters. But, but you could take that too far. That doesn't mean that we don't actually care what people think of us, particularly when their thoughts of us are, that doesn't look very Christian. Mm. Like that should matter. It doesn't mean we should even change a thing, but it does mean that we should evaluate what we're doing in light of what the scripture teaches. And one of the things the scripture teaches is to avoid the appearance of, of evil. evil. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And man, that has far reaching ramifications, far reaching ramifications. It really does. I mean, you know, it's, it's the, how close can I get to the fire and not be burnt? I love the illustration of man. You like, it's like you stick your finger in the fire and then pray that you don't get burnt. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we what, got a word for what that. What are you doing? From. Yeah. Really? For really? You know, Charles Spurgeon gave it. I'm going to butcher it because I don't have it memorized. He gave an illustration, and I'm trying to remember where I read it. I think it was in one of his sermons. It might have been in lectures to my students, but he talked about how we um, the, he gave the illustration, and it's been often repeated over and over, but it was basically a lady was hiring a um, someone to drive her wagon, and she brought him out to this mountain, you know, and the road comes around the very edge of the mountain. You could look off and see the mm. see the, the cliff, right? And she, she asked the, the coachman every time the same question, which is, how close can you get me to the edge of the mountain without falling off? First coachman says, I can get you within three feet of that mountain at full speed and you'll never fall off. You're, you're not going to fall off at all. And she says, okay, thank you. She finishes the interview. She interviews a second coachman. And she says, how close can you get me to the edge of the mountain without me falling off? And he says, I can get you within one foot of the edge of that mountain and you will not fall off. And I can do it at full speed. And she says, okay, thank you. Third coachman comes up and she asks the same question. How close can you get me to the edge of that cliff without falling off? To which he said, ma'am, I would not dare try. The question that I would ask myself is not how close can I get to the edge of the mountain, but how far away can I stay from the edge? Because my first priority is your safety. And she said, you're hired. Mm. Because when we look for, because what she was looking for was someone who was not concerned with how close they could get to the edge, but with how safe they could be while driving. That was, that was the real, that was the real thing for her was to, to find that thing. And, and when we treat sin that way, we do well. The question is not how close can I get to putting my hand in the fire without being yeah. burned. It's how, how safe can I be? I don't want to put my hand in the fire at all. That's just not smart. That's just not smart. So, you know, that, that principle holds true. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So remedy, remedy two. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Here we go. Remedy two. The second remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that ordinarily there is no conquest over sin without the soul turning from the occasion of sin. I feel like that's a really important Mm. sentence. That's probably one of the more important sentences we've read so far. So I'm going to read that again, David. Ordinarily, there is no conquest over sin without the soul turning from the occasion of sin. It is impossible, Brooks says, for that man to get the conquest of sin that plays and sports With the occasion of sin, God will not remove the temptation, except you turn from the occasion. 
It is a just and righteous thing with God that he should fall into the pit that will adventure to dance upon the brink of the pit and that he should be a slave to sin that will not flee from the occasions of sin. As long as there is fuel in our hearts for a temptation, we cannot be secure. He that hath gunpowder about him had need keep far enough from sparklers. Mm. To rush upon the occasion of sin is both to tempt ourselves and to tempt Satan to tempt our souls. It is very rare that any soul plays with the occasions of sin, but that soul is ensnared by sin. It is seldom that God keeps that soul from the acts of sin that will not keep off from the occasions of sin. He that adventures upon the occasions of sin is he that would quench the fire with oil, which is a fuel to maintain it and increase it. Mm. Ah, souls often remember how frequently you have been overcome by sin when you have boldly gone upon the occasions of sin. Look back, souls, to the day of your vanity, wherein you have been as easily conquered as tempted, vanquished as assaulted, when you have played with the occasions of sin as you would for the future be kept from the acting of sin and be made victorious over sin. Oh, flee from the occasions of sin. Mm. So Brooks's second remedy is to consider that if we're going to have victory over our sin, we must first flee from the things that tempt us to sin. Yeah, that it's it's not a normal series or sequence of events where the occasion for sin presents itself and you just kind of stand there and stare at it and then you can resist sin. That's that's not how this works. That's not the design of mortifying, to use the word that we've been using in the mm-hmm. sermons as of late. It's not the design for mortifying sin, right? You you want to first recognize the occasion. I've done a lot of work um in the addiction ministry world, working with folks who are recovering addicts. And one of the things I say often is I always know when someone is serious about changing their life, when I get the call at two o'clock in the morning, because they are, they are sorely tempted Mm -hmm. to go back to their addiction and they don't know what to do. And so they call me because what they've just done is they've intercepted to use Brooks's analogy. They've intercepted the occasion to sin. They don't have to call me. Yeah. And I would never know. Right. But what they do is in that moment, they realize, number one, for them, I can't resist this on my own. Right. I need my life needs to be intersected with someone else who can help me. So they call me. And and when when that happens, what they've done is removed themselves, if you will, from the occasion to sin. Now, what that looks like in everybody's life may or may be different. It doesn't mean you're always supposed to call a brother, but I think sometimes it means you should. Mm. I think sometimes the best way to remove yourself from an occasion to sin is to 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 cleave, if you will, to community, to yeah. find somebody that you can talk to and say, I'm being tempted and I don't want to be tempted. Mm. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think, man, there's so much. So much wisdom in that of how do you expect to have victory over sin if you continue? He he calls it play sport with the occasion of sin. If you're playing games with sin, how do you expect to win? I love the the picture. The guy that walks around with uh, gunpowder in his pocket should probably avoid sparklers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the guy, yeah. the guy whose clothes are covered in gunpowder. You don't need to be around fireworks. No, nope. you just don't. No, nope. you don't put fire out with oil. No, 
No, it's, it's that's not how this works. Everything that he's doing, I mean, it, it's it's, and that's what Brooks is masterful at that I've enjoyed so much mm-hmm. is the illustrations, the way he illustrates the point. You can tell he put a lot of thought into this. We've said before that a lot of this feels preached before it was written. Oh yeah. Because when you read it out loud, you can you can hear the preaching in it, and so and so those are those are I mean just sound illustrations of I mean, we just got to be smart. I don't know, oversimplify it, but you know Jesus said to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves, which yeah. means to be wise as a serpent. One of the ways that we are wise is to understand the devices of the evil one to cause us to sin, and one of those. Is exactly this one that we've said, and you hear this so often of nobody's going to see. You don't even have to sin. Just, just sit here. Yeah. Just be in this crowd. Yeah. You know, just it's okay. You don't have to. You don't have to sin. You just, you're just doing your thing. Yeah, you don't really have to flee immorality. Yeah. Hey, we're just kidding. Uh, yeah. That that yeah. that is boy, boy, boy. So much maturity comes out of that. Mm. All righty. Well, I think that's about it for today. Yep. Thank you, friends, so much for listening. It is a joy for us to do this. We thoroughly enjoy it. Hope that it is a blessing to you as well. If you would, uh, like us on whatever podcast app you're using or listening to us on, or if it's the website, thank you for doing that. And also, if you would, share this with your friends. If it's been a blessing to you, would you share it to others so they may be able to benefit from it as well? We desire to help Christians mature in their faith by reading these books by old dead guys. And uh, so it's it's a blessing for us to think that we may be able to do that in the lives of others. So thanks for taking the time. Share it with your friends. We'll talk again soon. Goodbye, friends. Goodbye.